Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. All I want for the holidays this year is some NBA action. This week, new customers can score 150 instantly in bonus bets just for betting five bucks. An instant dub just for you guys. The MVP odds are heating up. Just so you guys know, on DraftKings today, December 18th, Nicole Jokic plus 210, Luka Doncic plus 400, Joel Embiid plus 425, Shea Gilders Alexander plus 900, Giannis plus 900, Jason Tatum plus 1800. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. New customers can get 150 instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on basketball. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888 78 97777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Happy New Year. Hope all of you guys are kicking the new year off right, having productive weeks. We got a jam-packed show for you today. I wanted to cover Bradley Beal returning to the Suns, but I wanted to cover a quality opponent in doing so. So we're going to hit Magic Suns from a few days ago. 
The Pacers got another win over the Bucks last night in Milwaukee and really dominated them in the second half. So we're going to break down that game. I thought it revealed a lot of stuff about both teams. I wanted to talk a little bit about OG Ananobi's debut with the New York Knicks, which was interesting in some ways while also demonstrating some area of opportunity. And then last but not least, we have our latest edition of the Power Rankings. You guys know the drill before we get started. Subscribe to our brand new YouTube channel. It would mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button. Don't forget about our podcast feeds. Wherever you get your podcasts, Under Hoops Tonight, follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements or the film threads that I do. I did an extensive film thread this morning on the issues that the Milwaukee Bucks were having at the point of attack. Also some highlights of the Pacers guards barbecuing them. You can find that on my Twitter feed. And then last but not least, keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments so that we can hit them later on in the week. All right, let's talk some basketball. So there's a, a concept that I talk about a lot on this show, the concept of aggregate ball handling. What that means is like if you take any five-man grouping, and you have one outstanding ball handler, but the other four guys can't dribble well. You have great top-end ball handling, but you don't have great down-the-roster like aggregate ball handling. Teams like that, that would uh, to demonstrate that, would be a team like the Dallas Mavericks, for instance, right? Where, you know, where Luka Doncic is this incredible ball handler, but down the roster, they don't have great ball handling. One of the advantages of aggregate ball handling is it gives you the ability to make multiple attacks at an elite defense, which sometimes is the best way to beat an elite defense. A lot of times when it comes to the top-tier defenses in the league, your first action is not going to get the job done. Your first action might get you a little bit of an advantage somewhere on the floor, and you need to take that little advantage and expand it into a greater advantage, and so on and so forth until you get a great shot. And I actually uh, clipped two examples this morning on my Twitter feed at underscore JasonLT where you guys can see some video examples of this where it's, you know, KD is running a ball screen and he kind of gets downhill and he makes a kickback pass to uh, Devin Booker on the wing who then rips to the left and, and gets downhill and makes a kickout pass to Bradley Beal who makes one extra pass to the wing to Grayson Allen who pump fakes and drives to the lane and, and finishes at the rim. And it's like if you watch the defense on that possession, it's a very well-defended play by an Orlando Magic team that has a ton of athletes and is excellent in help side. That is their strength. That's what the Magic do best. Even in this recent stretch where the, Sun, uh, where the Magic are really struggling, they're defending really well. They're huge. They're athletic. They have high motor. They have excellent point of attack defenders. And so you're not going to just get a lot of easy shots, right? And and the Suns just did an uh, immaculate job in this particular game of that high level closeout attacking. And what it helps is like we t- we we talk so much about the off ball rolls and we focus so much on shooting and it's actually a, a misconception when it comes to spacing where people just think, oh, I need to have a 45 percent three-point shooter on the weak side. Well, if you've got a team, especially a defensive scheme that uh, rotates really hard and chases guys off the line, all of a sudden spot-up shooting doesn't uh, mean nearly as much as the actual ability to make reads and attack closeouts, right? That that it becomes more valuable. And you know what's interesting is guys like Devin Booker and Bradley Beal and Kevin Durant, those are guys that we primarily see in on-ball roles, but by virtue of having three of them on the floor, you get to see lots of examples of them playing with an advantage. And when you give top-tier scorers like that an advantage, like a defender sprinting at them, 
they can make the game look really easy at times, and they and they did as they stiff armed the Magic throughout this game. Even when the Magic the Magic briefly took a lead in the early fourth quarter, where Franz Wagner was picking on Shmezi Metu and switches and was just beating him off the dribble, and then the Suns had to try to blitz to try to prevent that switch, and then Franz Wagner hit the short roll man, which led to a quick kick out three, I think, for Gary Harris on the left wing, and they briefly took a one point lead. But then Bradley Beal got a couple of buckets, and the Suns just regained control of the game. Never really felt like they didn't have the uh, the, the more functional half-court offense in this particular game as they uh, ran away with it. And you even saw at stretches after the, the, the Suns were driving, kicking them to death early, then you saw these possessions where it's like, uh, 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 Kevin Durant running a pick and roll off of the right wing and getting downhill, and it's Bradley Beal and Devin Booker on the left wing, left corner, and their guys are just hugged up on them, and so KD's just working by himself, getting into the lane, and on this particular possession, he ended up smoking the layup, but he engaged uh, Batadze at the rim, and so Nurkic ended up getting a, a putback anyway. But like, if you watch. Bradley Beal and Devin Booker on the weak side and the Magic just aren't helping. There's another one where Bradley Beal is driving off of a left wing pick and roll and Kevin Durant and Devin Booker are on the weak side. On Kevin Durant's on the right wing extended and he's been deadly with above the break three-point shooting this year, right? De- Devin Booker in the right wing. Magic players glued up to him. As a result, Bradley Beal got to get all the way downhill and patiently work to get a, a, a shot off at the rim against Anthony Black. I actually trimmed both of those clips as well you guys can see them on the Twitter feed. But the, the, the moral of the story here is, is when you have this much offensive skill on the floor, the game gets a lot easier. And again, a lot of the struggles that the Suns had earlier in the year, you take Brad Beal out of the equation, you put in a much lesser offensive player, it starts to look more like a traditional two-star you know, configuration like we see everywhere around the league. And suddenly those weak side players, they don't seem like they have enough firepower to make it work. Kevin Durant, Devin Booker fatigue. They get into the fourth quarter. The aggressive defense starts to force turnovers. The Suns start to miss even the open shots that they get. And it can crater, right? But then you throw Brad Beal into the equation, even the guys like Grayson Allen and Eric Gordon, Yusuf Nurkic or Chemezi Metu who's actually been playing a lot for the group lately, those guys suddenly get slotted into more achievable roles. You've got Bradley Beal, Devin Booker consistently working in closeout opportunities. Everything looks a lot easier. The other thing I like about Brad Beal is he brings a very different type of attack to what Kevin Durant and Devin Booker uh, bring to the table. You know, uh, Devin Booker is a good athlete. Kevin Durant is a uh, uh, has a great physical frame. But neither of those guys are like outstanding slashers. But Bradley Beal is actually a top-tier athlete for his position when he's healthy. And he brings a lot of downhill force to the table. And you know, when Franz Wagner went on that run in the fourth quarter as the Magic took the lead, it was Bradley Beal's rim pressure that actually got them back into the lead. There was a possession uh, where he got Will, uh, um, he got Wendell Carter Jr. on a switch, and he was able to just beat him off the dribble, like just toast him off the dribble and get all the way to the rim. That's a downhill athlete play. Like that probably ends up in a pull-up jump shot if it's Kevin Durant or Devin Booker, right? There was another play where they picked him up full court. It was like the very next possession, and they're trying to apply ball pressure. One of the best ways to beat ball pressure is to just be the bigger, stronger athlete and go past him to the rim. And Bradley Beal just toasted him off the dribble and got all the way to the rim. I think that fit makes a ton of sense. You even saw one of the things I talked about a lot when the Suns were struggling was that KD's defense wasn't as good as it it can be, and a lot of that came down to workload. I thought KD had one of his best defensive games of the season. 
against the Magic. Early in the game, he had a couple of steals in just the first few possessions playing in passing lanes. He was uh, uh, bothering a ton of shots at the rim. You have to have the energy to do that, though. And when he's required to do, to do that much more offensively, you can expect his defensive effort to wane. That's just normal, especially for a guy in his late 30s. And so I thought, I thought all of it just seems to make a lot more sense with Bradley Beal in the group. A very, very encouraging sign. And one of the big reasons why I've been saying all year with the Suns, like, my concerns with them are still there as it pertains to the bigger matchups in the Western Conference, right? Teams like the Wolves, teams like the Nuggets, teams like the Lakers. But I think writing them off was silly because the entire configuration of the team was designed to involve all three of those guys. Like, they know they're not as big and strong on the front, but they're going to have a ton of of offensive skill on the floor, more offensive skill on the floor than just about anybody they play, and that's going to be their advantage. If they can play to that advantage, if they can drive and kick for layups and threes more often than they drive for tough mid-range pull-up jump shots and they fit that offensive shot profile that they need to fit, they have a chance. They have a chance with that kind of talent on the floor. On the Magic front, uh, Paolo and Franz were both great. Uh, Like I said, Franz had this really cool stretch in the middle fourth quarter where he was picking apart the Suns, particularly attacking Chemezi Metu. Uh, The major thing that kind of got in the way for them is Jalen Suggs was really struggling to knock down spot-up threes, uh, especially on the wings. And as a result, after he missed a couple, especially in the fourth quarter, the Suns just started ignoring him and then throwing that third defender in two-man game or extra defender in isos, and they were able to slow down the Magic offense, which the Magic offense, which we'll get to when we get to power rankings, is really, really struggling as of late. All right, moving on to the Pacers and the Bucks. Classic matchup of speed versus size, a matchup that we've seen a lot over the last couple of weeks between the in-season tournament, the week after, and then last night's game. And, you know, speed manifests in very different ways than size does, right? Speed manifests beating the floor, t- uh, t- the team down the floor in transition. It manifests uh, when a guy cuts to the rim. Like, there was a late cut from Ben Matherin down the stretch of this game where, like, when he hit the Jets to cut into that opening, it just caught everybody off guard because of how fast he is, right? Like, speed attacking the glass. The Pacers... Uh, performed better on the offensive glass than the Bucks did, which you would expect would be an advantage to the Bucks with their size. But with so much three-point shooting in the NBA now, rebounding has gone from a size game to a ball pursuit game. And having speed on the floor helps you pursue the ball easier as the Pacers outworked the Bucks in many cases. But the biggest example of the speed advantage for the Pacers in this game was at the point of attack. Primarily Tyrese Halliburton and TJ McConnell, but also Ben Matherin as well. All three of those guys were just consistently nothing fancy, just go down the floor, beat the guy off the dribble, play basketball from there. TJ McConnell in particular, he's been doing this all year. It's so funny because teams have been, uh, uh, you know, I, I think overlooking him in, in, in a certain way as a bench guard, but like. TJ McConnell's been one of the best dribble drive guys, just beating that first line of defense and getting the defense into rotation combined with his ability to pass and obviously everything that brings to the table. They were uh, they were running a uh, a little interchange there in the fourth quarter where uh, basically uh, T- uh, Tyrese Halliburton would come and like do a little dribble handoff to TJ McConnell and he'd get Malik Beasley on a switch and just barrel right through him to the basket uh, and get all the way to the rim. He had like a little short turnaround jumper and drew a foul on him that way. He's also like deceptively big and strong. They're just just really, really fast, difficult to contain, and they have guys that can finish plays, and it makes them that much tougher to guard. Tyrese Halliburton, in his last five games, 26 points, 
five rebounds and 16 assists with only two turnovers per game on 52% from the field, 40% from three. They've won four games in a row, all against really good teams. Nobody can keep them from generating quality shots. It's funny because like a lot of people, I you know, the, the, we're not going to talk about the Lakers today, but a lot of people have been going on the Lakers and the Pacers since the in-season tournament as both teams, obviously by virtue of the tough schedule there, kind of dipped a little bit. And I think people got off the Pacers scent again. I think people are off the Lakers scent too. You know, as bad as the Lakers have been, they're still top 10 in both half-court offense and defense. They have a trade to make and they have two top 10 players in the league. I think it's foolish to write them off. I think it's foolish to write the Pacers off. These are teams that uh, that in-season tournament schedule was brutal and to turn around and to play a tough schedule the following week the Pacers took a dip but they are a good team they're they're not a uh, a serious championship contender with a lack of frontline athleticism and size but they're they could be a player in the trade deadline this year and like Tyrese Halliburton in my opinion is an all-time great in the making I've said this on the show before but I don't look at him as just a guy who could be a superstar I look at him as a guy who could be like Steph and Nikola Jokic as transformative offensive talents that are engines for top five offenses for a decade and a half and just just surefire Hall of Famers guys who could be in the Pantheon one day. That's what I look at as uh, Tyrese Halliburton as. And, and I know I know I'm on the high end there. I know some people are a little bit lower on him, but I, I think he's that special. He completely picked the Bucks apart down the stretch, uh, just taking little 15-foot pull-up jump shots over the top of Brooke Lopez in his drop coverage. He he's just unbelievable, and, and it and it like we talk about all the time on the show. Step one in in the process of team building for an NBA championship is find the guy, and he's got to be one of the guys. Now Tyrese Halliburton is not that guy necessarily yet. He's got to polish up some things defensively, and obviously we'll see how his game translates to the postseason. But I think he's on a freight train to that level, and I'd be shocked if he doesn't get there. It's super super encouraging on the Bucks front. Just a complete and total lack of resistance at the point of attack. The Bucks had a significant, they were up 15 in the middle of the third quarter. And it was like, not only did the wheels come off, it was like every single time down the floor, the Pacers got whatever they wanted. It was one of the most like problematic and concerning defensive performances I've seen from a serious champion, a serious championship contender in a long time. I uh, clipped a thread of all the plays this morning. And it's like 20 clips long of like, oh, you guys got a bucket? Cool. TJ McConnell brought the ball up the floor and just beat his man off the dribble for a layup. Oh, you got another bucket? TJ McConnell came up the floor, just toasted by Chris Middleton and dropped it off to Ben Matherin at the basket. Uh, it, like they get a stop here. Here they come down the floor. TJ McConnell attacking Malik Beasley again. Here's Tyrese Halliburton getting wherever he wants. Oh, Ben Matherin left wing against Damian Lillard cleared side. I'm just going to dribble right through him to the basket for a layup. It was kind of embarrassing. And one of the things that I've said consistently with the Bucks is like, I view them again. I look at all the teams kind of in tiers, and to me, the Celtics and the Nuggets are in the top tier as teams that, as currently constructed, have serious chances to win the title. And even though the Bucks have been a very good regular season team, I view a drop off from that tier to the Bucks, to the Lakers, to the Timberwolves, to the Suns. That that next group to me is every one of those teams needs to make a trade. They just do. I don't care how many regular season te- games. The Bucks win. I don't care that the Lakers won the in-season tournament. I don't care that the Wolves are the number one seed in the West. 
To me, the Wolves aren't good enough in half-court defense. The Lakers don't have a, a, a point-of-attack defenders that can also score. And the uh, the Bucks have zero point-of-attack defenders. And so it becomes a serious issue when like every single team you play against, their guards are just comfortable. And again, there's a difference because a lot of times people buy into this like shot result thing. It's like, oh, we made Tyrese Halliburton take contested pull-up twos down the stretch of a close basketball game. And you might have your analytics professionals telling you like, oh man, contested pull-up twos are only worth X points per shot. We'll live with that. But there's, again, the statistic means, have you ever heard the expression that statistic means nothing to the individual? The statistic means nothing to the individual possession. Like it's not a contested 15-footer as one of a thousand contested mid-range pull-ups that are all the same. All of them are different. Sometimes there's really good ball pressure and the guy has to work really hard to get separation over the screen and the contest on the mid-range is better. Maybe there's back pressure. There's a lot of these things that make him uncomfortable that will lead to a miss. Whereas if the dude's just walking into pull-up jump shots with zero back pressure, with zero physical ball pressure, with zero, like a very mild contest from Brooke Lopez coming out of the drop, I don't care what your analytical professionals say. That's a high percentage shot. And he made three of them down the stretch of the game and beat you guys. And you can, like, again, it, it to me, like, that is why point of attack defense is such a vitally important uh, uh, part of an NBA defense. Like, it's not just about forcing a team to take the right shots. From the opening tip of the game, you have to make the opposing ball handler feel uncomfortable in some way, shape, or form. If you do, he'll have to work harder and fight through it, and he'll take some bad shots. He'll not feel as confident. And that's how you can force a guy into a you know a 10-for-23 night instead of a 15-for-23 night. That's the difference, in my opinion. It's comfort. It's rhythm. Like uh, When you go to the gym and you do cone shooting, if you're a young basketball player that's working on perimeter shot creation – you know, it, it, like when I do my shooting drills, like I will do that, that rip through pull up shooting drill that I've told you guys about on the show before. Like I catch and I rip to the right and I do a counter move and I go back to the left and I take a pull up jump shot. You know what's great when I'm shooting by myself? It's comfort. It, it, I feel like I'm doing a shooting drill, right? Because I'm by myself. When the defense in an NBA game is allowing Tyrese Halliburton to feel like he's shooting in cone drills, He's going to make shots at a much higher percentage relative to what the giant sample size might tell you over the course of the season. Because the other pull-up 15-footers Tyrese is taking is against better point-of-attack defense. It's a significant issue. To put it simply, you are not beating Boston unless you find a way to make ball handlers more uncomfortable. Like, Derek, has anybody seen how well Derek White is playing this year? He's killing teams with a combination of beating guys off the dribble and making reads, finishing at the rim, and he's shooting his pull-up three-point shot really, really well. Like, that's just Derek White. It's like, okay, we have Giannis and we have Chris Middleton for Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. Great. Who's guarding Drew and, and Derek White? Like, meanwhile, on the other end of the floor, Derek White is going to be in Damian Lillard's personal space, 48 minutes, well, however long he plays, seven games in a seven-game series. See how that one matchup could cause like, and what'll happen is at the end of the series, people will be like, Dame didn't shoot very well. It's shot variants. And it's like, no, 
the Celtics are just better at making your guards feel uncomfortable than the Bucks are at making your guards feel uncomfortable. To me, it is a it is a it is a a fatal flaw. Like are the the teams in that other tier, the the Suns and the Timberwolves and the and the Bucks and the Lakers can they win the title as currently constructed? Sure, but it's a super long shot. You need a ton of stuff to go well. You need a bunch of guys to pay above, play above their pay grade. You need your opponents to shoot poorly. You need a bunch of things to go your way, and and that's just it's just unrealistic to expect it to go that way. All of those teams need upgrades, and for the Bucks, they need an athletic guard that they can put next to Dame, that's at least okay on the offensive end of the floor to the point where he's not a liability. That That's what they need. A guy that can pick up primary point of attack assignments. That's what they need. So that they always are slotted properly and that everything makes sense. I said in training camp, Malik Beasley can shoot, didn't shoot well for the Lakers. Maybe he'll shoot well. He has shot well for the Bucks, but he was never at any point a reliable point of attack defender. And the Bucks were relying on him to be that it was doomed to fail. And again, I understand that the standings look good and the Bucks have the second best record in the East and the, you know, third or fourth best record in the league, but it's not about winning regular season games. It's can you beat Boston in a seven-game series? And right now, I think that flaw gets them beat against Boston. One last uh one last uh thing on the Bucks. Damian Lillard had some comments after the game about his offensive role because the Bucks' offense really struggled down the stretch as well. They had a 105 offensive rating in the second half, and Dame had this interesting comment after the game basically talking about him being off the ball more. And to be clear, he's right about that. Like There is a, a reality to like when your, chi- when your touches change like when you go from feeling the ball in your hands all the time to where like you're still involved a lot but it's like a lot more like sometimes I'm giving the ball I'm giving the ball to Giannis and Chris a lot Brooke is a guy that's pretty aggressive offensively so like it's much more of an equal opportunity type of offense and it is a struggle for Dame and he and he's really struggling he's cratered again in his last you know uh, uh in shooting over the last couple of weeks we'll dive into that a little bit further when we get into the power rankings but like he is right like this is a different role and it does take time. And quite frankly, they need to figure that out because I don't think this defense is going to be good enough to be the foundation for them to win a championship. They're going to have to enter into that Denver level of inevitability on offense. And it's just going to take time. They've got another 50 games or so, but they're going to have to figure out how to get Dame comfortable in his new role. All right, lastly, before we get to the power rankings, I wanted to talk a little bit about OG Ananobi's first game with the Knicks. Impressive win as the Knicks beat the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, on offense, you saw the benefit of OG Ananobi right away. Hit, what, three corner threes. I talked a lot about how so many Knicks games in recent weeks were ended. Like, it's like a tic-tac-toe, right? Like, it's like uh, Jalen Brunson makes a play at the point of attack that draws multiple defenders. You know, he hits the roll man or hits the guy on the wing who drives and kicks or the roll man, you know, makes a read out of the short roll. And then the ball just ends up in R.J. Barrett's hands on the wing And he can't shoot, especially against the closeout. And so just so many of those possessions would end that way. And it's like OG Ananobi is just a much better both contested and uncontested catch-and-shoot shooter. And like he's going to make the corner threes in a way that R.J. Barrett can't. The second big thing that stood out to me is just his athleticism. Again, this is a type of athlete that the Knicks just did not have on the roster. Like a, a an actually perimeter quick tall guy. They ju- they just didn't have this. 
right? And like you see, you saw it in a bunch of different ways. Specifically, they worked him in the dunker spot a lot where like he would just kind of meander down there when he saw an opening and he has that ability to on the catch just immediately go up and dunk it with two hands and he's got the strength to fight through contact, which is just a, it's like a release valve in a lot of ways. When he's cutting to the rim, he had a cut on like a little banana cut over the, uh, 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 right into the middle of the floor where he caught and went up and dunked it with two hands. I think he got a foul on that one too. Like he just has like, it's almost like a real rim pressure from the off ball positions. You know what I mean? And then it, as just an athlete in transition, he had a big one handed dunk in transition where he was running his lane. I think he's just going to make them so much better on the offensive end of the floor. And I thought you saw that immediately. Now defensively was a chore. He, uh, they put him on Anthony Edwards to start the game. And the Timberwolves are an excellent screening team. And OG was really struggling to fight over the top of screens. And so Ant did get downhill a lot. I've talked about this before, but like the Knicks might want to experiment with switching just because of the size of their front line. And OG Ananobi being a big body that can be easy to screen sometimes. And we'll see. Maybe uh, it's just one game, so I don't want to overreact. And we'll see what kind of scheme ends up working best for them. The other thing, too, is the uh, the Knicks as currently constructed are not a rim protection team. They don't have like a big old rim protector, especially since Mitchell Robinson's hurt. And so uh, an over-the-top chasing kind of on-ball scheme is serves to funnel and you only really want to funnel when you have excellent rim protection. So it might be interesting. We'll see over a larger sample size, but it might be interesting to see the Knicks try to do some more switching because OG and Ginobili can guard bigger players because they can have like a team-wide help and recover scheme to try to uh, help them do okay in mismatches. They also have some guards that are like surprisingly big and strong, uh, and that can be something that is useful in switching as well. But we'll see in the big picture what they decide to do. Got in foul trouble too. A couple of really bad calls. There's a rebounding foul that I didn't like. And then he his sixth foul was just an atrocious call. He was just fighting through a Gobert screen, and it was pretty innocuous contact, and the ref just took him out of the game. Uh, something I'm not a huge fan of, but it is what it is. But overall, I thought it was an impressive debut for OG Ananobi. A clear demonstration of the ceiling-raising ability that he has. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you feeling stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started to see a little more of your scalp? Are you unhappy with your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted, whole-body approach. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair with less shedding. Physician-formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning, stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole-body health. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription, or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker and healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners 
$10 off your first month subscription and free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code HOOPS, H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code HOOPS. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, moving on to our power rankings. So we have two teams dropping out this week. The Orlando Magic went one and two this week. They've lost eight of their last 13 games and they're 26th in offense over that span. So they're out of the power rankings for the time being. Also, the Dallas Mavericks, they went 1-2 this week, lost 7 of their last 11 games. In that span, they're, it's weird. They're 25th in offense and 16th in defense over that span. But Kyrie Irving is back now. That should help them settle down. He had, I played his first game last night, looked rusty, but um, with him coming back, that should help them get back on track offensively. Alrighty, number 10. The New Orleans Pelicans, they've won seven of their last 10 games, culminating in a quality win over the Lakers on Sunday. They're top five in offense and defense over that span. Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and CJ McCollum are all averaging over 20 points per game very efficiently over that span. They're rebounding super well. They're third in defensive rebound percentage over that span. And on defense, a couple of guys I want to shout out. Brandon Ingram is having a ridiculous stretch of off-ball defense, getting a ton of deflections and blocks and steals and blowing up plays. It's been a theme all season. Those of you guys who have been listening to the show have heard me talk about it, but recently it's gone even up a level. Brandon Ingram has the tools, kind of like we've talked about with Kevin Durant, to be an outstanding defensive player. It's just a question of commitment, and there have been stretches where he does and stretches where he doesn't. He's in a stretch where he has been doing it, and it's made them that much uh, more formidable on defense. Jose Alvarado was a menace in that Lakers game as well. Just a literal wrecking ball blowing things up. Um, not just the, uh, the from-behind steals, but also just attacking the basketball when it's in front of him in transition. He was having success there as well. Pelicans are playing some good ball right now. The first time, in their uh, first time on our power rankings at number 10. Number nine, the Indiana Pacers. They've won four in a row, all four wins against good teams. They went down to Houston and beat the Rockets in Houston. Not easy to do. They went into Chicago and beat a red-hot Bulls team. That's not easy to do. Then they beat the Knicks. The Knicks are a good team. And then they went into Milwaukee and beat the Bucks. Like we mentioned earlier, Tyrese Halliburton in his last five games, 26 points, five rebounds, and 16 assists with only two turnovers per game on 52% from the field and 40% from three. And then I wanted to shout out TJ McConnell. He's just been such a good bench guard this year. Not just not just at the point of attack offensively beating people off the dribble and making plays, but he's also been a very, very good point of attack defensive player and just an overall disruptor and energizer bunny that just continues the wave, the onslaught of what the Pacers bring as part of that Tyrese Halliburton experience. And then they even play the two of them together, and then they just start to pick you apart, driving and kicking. I, I did a lot of Pacers talk earlier in the show, for those of you guys who are watching the breakout clip, so make sure you check out the Pacers. Bruck, uh, Pacers Bucks breakdown from earlier today. 
Number eight, the Denver Nuggets. They beat the Grizzlies and Hornets, but then they got demolished by the Thunder at home. Now, Aaron Gordon was out for that game because of the unfortunate dog bite that he suffered over Christmas. But as I've said frequently about the Nuggets, you know, when it comes to their top five, I trust them more than anyone else in the league. That's why they're my number one championship favorite at this point. But their vulnerability is a lack of depth. If you lose Aaron Gordon... You're nowhere near as physically imposing as you are with him. If you lose Michael Porter Jr., your weak side shooting craters, and suddenly it's a lot easier to throw multiple bodies at the Jokic-Murray two-man game. No Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Now you have to play your point of attack defenders that are nowhere near as good offensively. Same issue. You can start to load up on the two-man game. No Jamal Murray. There is no two-man game. The offense becomes way easier to guard, or at least that you go to a, a much lower-level two-man game. So the point is, like, this is the best team in the league, but another great example, like, they, I've always said that five-man grouping is the most perfect assembly of basketball talent that I can remember seeing in terms of reaching the uh, uh, value higher than the sum of their parts, right? And it, it, Jokic is the best player in the world, but each of those role players next to him is immaculately a perfect fit for what they need out of that position. And I thought I thought the Thunder just destroying the Nuggets in Denver was a strong indicator of just how important Aaron Gordon is to this particular team. Number seven, the Sacramento Kings. They lost to the Blazers, but they beat the Hawks and Grizz. Uh, An easier stretch in their schedule, so I wanted to just take a second to shout out De'Aaron Fox. Doesn't get nearly enough credit for massively increasing his scoring volume while not dropping in efficiency. Went from 25 points per game last year to 30 this year while staying at 60% true shooting. And it's on the strength of him just turning into a dead-eye jump shooter. Not just that, but like a high-volume guy who's hunting those shots. Like there was a clip going around on Twitter the other day of uh, De'Aaron Fox shooting like an early clock pull-up 30-footer, I think, against the Grizzlies. And it was in like the early first quarter and everyone's like, oh my gosh, what is De'Aaron Fox doing? People don't realize he's just hunting jump shots now. He's attempting 10 threes per game over his last 11 games and hitting them at a 45% clip. Like not just off, not just off the catch either. In that span, six pull-up threes a game, six of them. And he's making them at a 41% clip. This guy was already a star. Based on his ability to beat people off the dribble, to make that floater, some of the mid-range pull-up jump shooting, and the finishing at the rim. If this dude is now just like a dead-eye pull-up three-point shooter, like now we're talking about a guy that can enter into the realm of top-tier superstardom. He is a capable, if not excellent, point-of-attack defender when he's locked in. This is a dude I've seen in the postseason. No one can keep him in front off the dribble. Now he's adding... Not just a good jump shot, but one of the be- one of the most effective jump shots in the league this year. He's up over 1.1 points per ma- uh, points per shot attempt in both catch and shoots and pull up jump shots this year. This is incredibly high level shooting paired with one of the best downhill athletes in the league. So shout out to De'Aaron Fox, uh, like legitimately one of the most improved players in the league this year. Number six, the Philadelphia 76ers. They beat the Magic Rockets, Rockets and lost to the Bulls, but Embiid's been out. But it looks like Joel Embiid will be returning tonight against the uh, against the Bulls again. Tyrese Maxey's efficiencies tanked a little bit, but he's still scoring at a high volume. Number five, the Milwaukee Bucks. They beat the Nets and the Cavs, but lost to the Pacers. 
Giannis continues to obliterate everyone, but Dame is cooled way off again. In the last six games, 22 points per game, 39% from the field and 33% from three. As I mentioned in the Pacers-Bucks breakdown earlier in today's show, I don't think their defense is going to be very good, and so they need to find a way to get Dame into a groove, a consistent groove offensively. Number four, the Los Angeles Clippers. Kawhi Leonard is back, and they are back to winning. They have an undefeated week, capped off with an impressive handling of the Miami Heat yesterday. 17-5 since November 16th, which is the second best record in the league, second to the Celtics over that span. The offense has come around. Remember I was talking about early, like, uh, even when they were winning, I was like, watch out. Their offense hasn't even really gotten going. Well, they're third in offense over their last 10 games, seventh in offense since November 16th in that 17-5 and five stretch. James Harden is the guy I wanted to shout out here. What I said before the trade, and this is the uh, something I feel very strongly about, James Harden has limitations when we get to the postseason, and they're real. Can't finish at the rim, doesn't make enough pull-up threes to be a super efficient scorer, really inefficient in his impact on a night-to-night basis, bad defensive player, right? But he is still one of the very best regular season innings eaters in the league. And there is real value in there. 20 points, 5 rebounds, and 10 assists per game since November 16th. 47% from the field, 45% from three, and 2.6 stocks per game. Excellent basketball from James Harden, especially helping to float the ship while uh, Kawhi Leonard has been out. Number three, the Minnesota Timberwolves. They're starting to drop some games in this intense stretch of their schedule. They're 7-4 and four in their last 11, but all the losses are in really tough games. At New Orleans, tough place to win. At Philly, tough place to win. At Oklahoma City, tough place to win. In Madison Square Garden, tough place to win. I actually think... All things considered, we knew this stretch was really tough, but I think they've held up pretty well. Like I talked about earlier, when uh, right before this actual stretch of their schedule, I I was saying, don't expect them to go undefeated, but if you're comfortably over 500 in that stretch, it's a really strong indicator of a championship threat. I thought they've demonstrated it to that point. Main concern, though, is just their half-court offense. They only score... uh, 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 0.99 points per half-court possession, or 0.985, excuse me, points per half-court possession. That ranks 18th in the NBA. I would like to see them get that up over 100. That, to me, is kind of like a prerequisite to be able to score in the playoffs. That's my main concern for them at this point. You've seen it before. Like Teams just can pack the paint on them and force them into taking jump shots. And like When Ant's making all of his pull-up jump shots, it looks good, but they can get into some ruts offensively. But holding up pretty well over a tough schedule. Number two, Oklahoma City Thunder. Undefeated week with all quality wins. They beat the Knicks, the Nets, and went into Denver and smacked the Nuggets, so we've moved them all the way up to number two. They have won seven of their last eight games. They beat the Nuggets twice in that span. They beat the Timberwolves. They beat the Clippers. They beat the Knicks. Playing excellent basketball. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is playing like an MVP. 32-6-6 on 55% shooting over that span, over that eight-game span. Chet. Last eight games, 20 points per game, 59% shooting and 47% from three. The dude is exploding. I think he's a superstar in the making. I think he has the potential to be one of the best players in the league one day. And Jalen Williams just quietly putting up 20 points per game on 57% from the field and 52% from three. This team has a super, super bright future. 123 offensive rating over the last eight games. Number one in half-court offense for the season, according to Cleaning the Glass. Number three in half-court defense. 
Number one, where they always have been, or for the most part this year, the Boston Celtics. They've had a really weak schedule this week, but they handled their business. They beat the Pistons, the Raptors, and the Spurs. The Celtics have played a much tougher schedule to this point than both Philly and Milwaukee. And despite that, they are two and a half games up on the Bucks and four games up on the Sixers. They have the fifth easiest remaining schedule. So get ready for a lot more weeks like this. And look for the Celtics to run away with the number one overall seed. As I said before the season, I think you're going to see a hefty gap between them and everybody else by the time we get to the end. The only reason it's looked as close as it has is the Celtics have had a very front-loaded schedule when it comes to the tougher games. And their peers, the Sixers and the Bucks, have played two of the easiest schedules in the league. Fueled in large part because the bottom of the Eastern Conference is super weak. But Boston gets to take the benefit of that down the stretch. So look for Boston to run away in the standings for the rest of the, uh, for the rest of the year. Uh, we will be back tomorrow. Big time game. We got thunder Celtics going to be covering that one. A couple other games from, uh, tonight as well. As always, I appreciate your guys' support and I will see you then. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound... Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge Podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.